Morning. Morning, everybody. And welcome to River Glen. Welcome everybody over in Pewaukee and online and uh, here in Waukesha, whatever your location. So good to have you uh, with us. Today we continue this series called The, the, the Vow. And what we're doing is uh, we're teaching you four different vows that uh, can transform your life and your uh, marriage. But it doesn't matter if you're married or, or single or never plan to get married. This series has something for everybody. We can all learn from it. Now today we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. And I would say that out of all four of the vows that we're going to talk about, this, this vow of partnership is probably the one that Marnie and I have had to work on the most. So here's how I want to uh, get started. Uh, show of hands, both campuses, show of hands. How many of you would say you married someone who is very different uh, for you? You married someone different from you. Wow, look at that. You know, some of you are like, yeah, they're very different from, from uh, me. You know, as I worked on this message, I, I made a point to ask Marnie, uh, how, uh, about this, I asked her, how would you say that we're different from each other? And she said, well, overall, we're more similar than different, but our personalities are very different. And we, we laughed about that because we know that that's true. And so I made a list of our differences. Marnie is more extroverted. I'm more introverted and, and shy. Marnie's more of a feeler. I'm more of a thinker. Marnie is more patient. She stops and smelled, smells the roses. I will run over the roses if it gets me where I want to go uh, quicker. I'm just on the go. Marnie can be a little more cautious. I'm more of a risk taker. Marnie's got this big head of beautiful hair. And I, well, you know, uh, we, we've got differences. And many of you can relate. But here's what I find fascinating. When you're dating, what do opposites do? They attract, right? We love our differences in dating. And then you get married, and what do opposites do? They attack. Yeah, just kind of the way it is. And if you're single here today and you hope to be married, this is important for you to know because when you're uh, dating someone, you find the differences very attractive. For example, you might be a little uptight, and the, and the person that you're uh, dating is easygoing, and you love you know, how their personality is easygoing. Then you get married, and what happens? Their easygoing personality drives you crazy. And what you used to call relaxed, now you call lazy. <laughs> and yet you look at them and go, you're a lazy bum. Or you know, maybe when you were dating, you know, you loved how organized and neat and structured they were. I mean, they made lists for everything. Then you get married, and they're a control freak. They've got OCD. You know, they've got a map on how you should mow the grass. You get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. You come back to bed, and they've already made your side of the bed already. Yeah, and you need to know this going into marriage because if we're not careful, differences can divide us. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. God made our differences by design to enhance and strengthen our relationship. But Satan wants to use those differences to divide us. And that's why this vow of partnership that we're talking about today is very important. Let me introduce it to you this way. You know, in every relationship, every great relationship has to go through three stages. From me to you to we. This is the way it works in every relationship. It works this way if you're single. It works this way in business. It works this way in, in, in marriage. You know, before you enter a relationship, who's it all about? Yeah, it's about me. And, you know, I do what I want to do. I live how I want to live. I go where I want to go. And then you get, somebody catches your eye, 
and you think, you know, I want you. I want you to like me. And you pursue them, but realize in marriage, the design and the goal is, is that we always eventually move toward we. It's all about we. There's no longer me. There's no longer you. It's all about we. But the tragedy in many marriages, they never get to we. Most marriages never get to we. And the reason is because many people walk into marriage, and we may not say this out loud, but we walk into marriage thinking this, I want to make you what's best for me. All of us have a, a sinful or, or selfish nature inside of us. And that's why that vow of priority we talked about last week is so important because if God is not part of your life and part of your relationship, stripping away those selfish parts inside of us, here's what happens in our, our marriages. I want to make you, I try to make you what's best for, for me. And this is the foundational flaw in many marriages. Here's the problem with it. If, if I try to make you what's best for me, uh, there, there's going to be no room for, for we. I want to say that even stronger. If I try to make you what's best for me, there's no room for we. For we. I will kill we. And this needs to be said stronger because we is the goal and the design for marriage. See, marriage isn't something that human beings thought up. God made marriage. God gave us marriage, which means we've got to run his playbook for, for it to work. And so I want, to, I want to share with you what I think is the single greatest verse about marriage. If I had to pick one, it would be this verse where, where God explains what marriage is about and his design for marriage. Take a look at what it says in Genesis chapter 2. God says this in Genesis 2, 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is what? Say it with me. United to his wife. And they become what? One flesh. Yeah, the word united here in the original language, it means to cling to, to adhere to, to be glued together. God literally and supernaturally takes two people in marriage and he makes them one flesh. Jesus quotes the same verse in Matthew 19, exact same verse. He quotes it because he believes in it. But I want you to notice how he adds to it. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. God made us different from the beginning as men and women. And then he goes on to quote Genesis 2.24. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Exact same verse. He quotes it. But notice he adds to it. Jesus says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. No longer two, God designed you to be we. He uses the strongest language possible because when you get married, there's no longer me, there's no longer you, it's all about we. This is God's design for uh, marriage. Now, many people think that, when we, as we go back to this verse here in Matthew 19, many people think that this phrase, one flesh, they think that this is all about sexual intimacy. That's what many people believe. But in this verse, in the original language, uh, there's not one word in this verse or any of the verses that we've looked at that is exclusively sexual. This is much bigger than just sexual intimacy. So you say, what is Jesus talking about here? It's the miracle of marriage. When, when you get married, God cements you together. He takes two spirits and he makes you one, one in every way, sexually, physically, emotionally, 
spiritually, relationally. I learned in, in the original language, the word for one in this phrase, one flesh, is also used for God himself. In Deuteronomy chapter six, it says the Lord is one. Scripture uses the same word to describe the oneness between a man and a woman in marriage to describe God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are 100% united. And that is the goal for uh, marriage. This idea of God making us one in marriage is so important that Paul, the Apostle Paul, also quotes Genesis 2.24. And he quotes it again in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But look at what he says next. This is a profound mystery. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little confusing and mysterious for us to understand the oneness God creates in marriage, but it shouldn't keep us away from the goal of two becoming one. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to try and put some handles on this idea, not only to help us understand it, but to apply this idea so that our marriages become less about me and more about we. And, and I want to do that by looking at a few different areas. But first, I want to acknowledge that for some of us, the idea of two becoming one might scare us, might offend us. For some of us who are single and fiercely independent, maybe this makes you hesitate. Or maybe you have held back from even thinking about marriage because you thought, if I get married... Now I'm going to have to give up my individuality. I'll have to give up my personality. But I want to just remove that fear by saying that marriage doesn't mean you give up your personality at all. Let me, let me personalize it. When I got married to my wife, that didn't mean that I had to become more extroverted like her or more cautious like her. I didn't have, a, have to give up my personality. Building a great marriage doesn't mean that you have to give up your personality Marriage is about both of you uniting together around a common uh, purpose. A healthy marriage you know, doesn't mean you give up your personality. You, you both unite around a common purpose. And when you do that in marriage, when two become one, we is better than me. I want to share a couple of reasons why we is better than me in marriage. First of all, you make better decisions together than apart. Let me, let me set aside marriage for a moment, talk about leadership. If you are a leader in any way, if you have read about leadership, you know that you will always make better decisions when you ask for input from other people. The best leaders, you know, they don't sit in their office all alone, make all the decisions, and they're always right. No, great leaders always involve other people. I, I thought it was fascinating. Last year, uh, Tiger Woods won the Masters uh, Tournament, which made the list of the top sporting moments for the decade. Uh, Tiger Woods won the Masters, and first thing he did after he sank the winning putt, he goes over and he gives a hug to his caddy. And he said, we did it. We did it. He's one of the greatest golfers in all of, of history, and he depends on input from his caddy and input from his coach and from other people. We make better decisions together. Sometimes people are a little bit surprised to find out that I don't make most of the decisions around here. We've got a great staff. We have a great executive pastor, Don Rowe, a great staff of men and women who direct and manage the day-to-day -day ministries. We operate together as a team, 
And they make or help me make decisions. And if you're a leader or hope to be a leader someday, you need to embrace the old saying that teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. And for some of us, the reason that we're not accomplishing more in marriage is because there's a whole lot of me and not a whole lot of we. And we make better decisions together as one. I know in our marriage, Marnie and I, we make 10 times better decisions together than we would apart. We make better parenting decisions together. We make better financial decisions together. We grow spiritually uh, together uh, better than we would apart. And if you're single here today, that doesn't mean you're at a disadvantage. It just means if you're single, you need to ask for input from other people. If you're a single parent, you need to involve others and get input from others. But don't miss this point. As a married couple, you make better decisions together than you ever would apart. Here's the second reason why we is just better than me in in marriage. Uh, We gives you intimacy. Now, when, you know, I say the word intimacy, sometimes men and women think about different things, but however you want to define intimacy, physically, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, when you begin to operate as we, it brings you greater intimacy. Maybe some of you are sitting right next to each other, chair to chair, but you feel miles apart. Maybe at bedtime, you're, you, you lay next to each other in bed, but you feel like there's this ocean separating you. And if you feel that way, there's probably an area in your relationship where there is me or you, and you haven't figured out how to get to we. And so here's what I want to do with my remaining time. I want to talk about four areas. The four biggest areas where many couples struggle with we. And I want to talk about these four areas. One of these four might stick out for you. I want to talk about these four areas under the umbrella of a common vision, developing a common vision in your marriage. Proverbs 29 says, where there's no vision, people perish. And this definitely applies to marriage. Many marriages lack a common vision. And when you don't have a common vision in your marriage, you know what you have? You've got two visions. You know, one person wants to go this way. One person wants to go this way. And when you have two visions, what you end up with is division every single time. And so I want to talk to you about four areas where we need to develop a common vision in our marriage. Here's number one, by far the most important area. You need a common vision for your faith. Now, I'm just going to touch on this because I talked a lot about this last weekend if you missed last weekend, you can go back and, and watch that. Let me summarize it by showing you this diagram. We, we, we showed this marriage triangle last weekend. I think this is the, 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 the best advice for developing a great marriage. If a husband and wife put God first, okay, the marriage always moves in the right direction. If the husband moves toward God, if the wife moves toward God, the husband and wife will always move closer to each other. Best thing you can do for your marriage is make God, number one, put God at the top. If you want a marriage that thrives, not just survives, thrives, you both need to put God at the top. And many of you have taken steps of faith as a couple. Maybe you both made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe you both took the this, this step of, 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 of baptism, expressing your faith. And that's wonderful. That's fantastic. That's great. But if you're not growing, if you're not growing 
and you're not part of a group, a life group, a rooted group, an alpha group, that is your next step. These groups meet during the week with other couples and singles, and joining one of these groups would make a major difference, a huge difference in your marriage. Not one person doing one thing and the other person doing their thing. It gets you on the same page and growing together in your faith. And single people, this is a great way for you to get connected and involve others and get input from others into your life as well. In fact, this is so important to me. I would rather you take out your phone right now, go to our website, click on the Group Life page under the Ministries tab, and just go ahead and sign up for a group, a life group, a rooted group, and an alpha group, and tune me out right now for the rest of the message. That's how important this is to me. Uh, Marnie and I uh, joined a rooted group uh, uh, about a year and a half ago. In fact, we've... Uh, We've gone through Rooted three times. I mean, we like it that much. I mean, it has helped us move up the sides of the uh, triangle because it helps you develop a common vision for your uh, faith. In the last two years, we've had over 500 people in our church go through Alpha and Rooted. God's working. God's moving in group life. Don't miss out. Here's a second area. You need to find a common vision for your finances. Very important. Every single study I've ever read that lists the factors that divide and break up marriages right there at the top every time is stress and arguing over money. I remember when we got married, we didn't really have a good system for spending and saving, and it led to some difficulty, led to some stress. But the amazing thing about money, money's neutral. Money does what you want it to do. It goes where you tell it to go. You say how much. Uh, you're, you're in charge of your money, not the other way around. And so the problem with money is not, in marriage, the problem is not really a money problem. It's a control problem. It's a vision problem. You know, you have one vision and, and how you want to use the money, and your spouse has another vision for how to use the money. And you need a common vision. You need to find a common vision. Uh, one of the best things Marnie and I ever did, we took a finance class many years ago. It was very similar to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And it got us talking about our dreams and goals for the future of our marriage and, and family. It got us on the same page about saving and spending and getting out of debt and generosity. Writing down our goals and financial plan united us together. It was a powerful experience in our marriage. If you're interested in taking a class, the next Financial Peace University class coming up in, on, on March 2nd be a great opportunity for you. Here's a third area. You need to develop a common vision for your family. For your family. I want to talk specifically to those of you with kids. You probably know this. Kids can divide you. Kids can divide you. And it's not their fault. It's our fault because we don't have a common vision for parenting them. It's amazing how kids, even little kids, they're so brilliant, they're so smart, they can sniff it out when you're not on the same page to, together. And they'll play you like a fiddle. They'll play you against each other. If they know, you know, dad sees it one way, mom sees it one way, they're going to go with the person who's going to help them find their way or help them get their way. But it's not their fault. It's our fault because we're inconsistent. And we don't have a common vision for uh, parenting. And to get consistency, both of you have to compromise. 
to have a united front because having a united front is, is, is way more important than you getting what you want. Sometimes our words give us away as parents. Maybe you've heard this before or said this before. Uh, one of your kids does something bad, gets in trouble, and you say to your spouse, yeah, that's what your kid did. That's your kid, your child. And then your child does something great, maybe wins an award, and what do you say? Oh, man, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's my child. Our words reveal that we're not on the same page together. Listen, when you get married and have kids, there is no room for your kid or my kid. It's our kid, our child. You have to parent together as one, and consistency is the key. you got to develop a common vision. Now, you may think, oh, Ben, you know, that's probably easy for you and Marnie. You know, you both work at the church. It's probably easy for you to have a common vision for your family. No, not at all. I mean, we have the same struggles that you do. When our kids grew up, especially the teenage years, it was not easy. Marnie and I had so many conversations and decisions to make. Sometimes it would take us days or weeks to get on the same page together. Sometimes it just just took me a long time to come around to Marnie's wisdom on on parenting. And, uh, you know, she was right most of the time. But we stayed committed to parent as one. Now, I want to acknowledge some parents here today that may have the hardest time with with this. Uh, Those of you who are parents in a blended family, we have many blended families, and we love having blended families at River Glen. I do want to recommend a resource for you. This will help you form a common vision for parenting in a blended family. It's called The Smart Step Family by Ron Deal. Uh, I want to encourage you to, to get this resource. You can get it on Amazon. It'll help you form a common uh, vision for parenting a step family. We also have a video curriculum for free that goes along with it on Right Now Media. You can go to our website and access uh, Right Now Media, which is this library with great uh, resources. Having a common vision and consistency are the goal for all parents. Now, I want to cover a fourth area, uh, but I'm a little bit afraid. Some of you might think this is trivial. But, but it's not. This is very important for you to have a common vision for fun. Because in, in many marriages, people get bored. They get bored in marriage because there is no creativity or fun bonding you together. And the husband you know, goes off and does fun things with his buddies. And the wife goes off and does fun things with her girlfriends. You know, he's got his fun things. She's got her fun things. But they have no fun thing together. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you have to have all the same hobbies and, you know, you got to do everything uh, together. That's not realistic, but you need a few things that you enjoy doing together because when you have fun together, it bonds you together. So let me ask, do you have a hobby or activity that both of you like to do? I'll tell you some things Marnie and I like to do. We, we, We love to go for walks together and hikes together we love to spend time with our kids together. We, we enjoy watching, finding a television show that we can enjoy together. Marnie would watch this British baking show uh, by herself. I'd walk through the room and, and I would just think to myself, you know, I would never want to watch a British uh, baking uh, show. And then one day she invited me to sit down and watch it with her and I got hooked. If you'd have told me six months ago, I would enjoy watching a British baking show. And I said, you're crazy. But... 
uh, it's fascinating. I love how they talk, and we enjoy it, and we laugh, and, and we discuss it together. But I would say this is also an area where we have some more work to do in our marriage. We both enjoy uh, traveling, getting away, exploring new areas. A couple weeks ago, between Christmas and New Year's, we spent a day in Chicago, and we had an absolute blast together just, just walking around downtown Chicago. But we need to be more intentional this next year about planning some time in advance, getting it on our calendar to get away and, and, and travel and explore some new areas together. So what would you do to have fun together? Here's a list. I made, some, made some, uh, a list of ideas. Uh, maybe take some lessons together in a sport. Maybe try golf lessons or tennis lessons. Maybe go for a run together. I don't know. Maybe you take an art class or a dance class or, or a cooking class or... Uh, find something fun that bonds you together. Yeah, maybe you uh, cheer for the Packers tonight. Boo the Patriots, or not the Patriots, the Seahawks. There we go. Boo the Seahawks together when we play them. Oh, we have a marriage date night coming up on Friday, February 14th with two comedians. Uh, that sounds like fun. You can buy some tickets in the lobby um, after the service today because it doesn't matter how long you've been married. Um, when, when, when you do fun things together, it bonds you together. And you know what? It's a big deal. Maybe, maybe, even, maybe it's more important than you might uh, think. So you need a common vision uh, for your marriage, in, in your faith, in your finances, in your family, and when it comes to fun. And my guess is there's probably one of these that stands out to you, and you think, you know, we got some more work to do in that area, or maybe you think we're good. And then you talk to your spouse, and your spouse says, no, I think we actually need to do some work in this area. We need to find a common vision for, 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 for this one. Now, now, you look at this list here, and uh, some of you are thinking, Ben, that's a good list, but uh, there's, 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 there's an important one missing, okay? Uh, there's a big one missing. What about a common vision for sex? I mean, that's an important one. God's Word has a lot to say about that. And so in two weeks, we're going to talk about the vow of passion, and uh, don't miss it. We're going to have fun in, in two weeks talking about the vow of passion in marriage. But for today, where does your marriage need to be less about me and more about we? Can you imagine having a marriage that is really about we? Can you imagine, I mean, not having to argue about the kids anymore because you have a common vision for parenting? Can you imagine having margin in your, in, in, when it comes to your finances and uh, uh, because you're on the same page and have a common vision financially, can you imagine the intimacy that you develop because you're growing your faith together and having fun together? It can happen because when you seek God together, he makes you one. Last week, we, we had you take this vow, the priority vow. I vow to make God my number one. Here's today's vow. I vow our marriage will be more about we and less about me. But maybe for some of you, there's too much hurt and anger, and, and it's difficult for you to say that vow. Maybe you need some help. That's why we have marriage mentoring available. Stop at the Connect Wall after the service if you'd like to find out more about getting matched up with marriage uh, mentors. I, I believe God wants to transform our marriages. So here's my challenge. Sometime this week, I want you to uh, get the kids to bed early, maybe go to your bedroom so you can talk. Or even better, get a babysitter and, and go out on a date night. But uh, don't do this when you're in a fight. Do this when it's good for you to come together. And here's what I want you to do first. Pray. 
Pray first. Pray something like this. God, we're going to invite you in our relationship. God, would you help us become a whole lot more about we than me? God, would you help us become one? And then I want you to pick one of these four areas here. Don't try to tackle all four. Pick, pick the one where you think you need to give the most attention uh, to and have a conversation. How can we as a couple become more about we? Let's, let's strip away the selfishness. Let's become united. And if you will do that together, you are so much better together than apart. I want to pray that God will help you do that in your marriage. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this church and the willingness to open your word and, and learn about your design for marriage and this goal of oneness. But God, I want to acknowledge that some marriages may be hurting and broken and, and they're wondering if, if this is going to work. I want to ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to transform hurting and broken marriages. God, would you help all of us to seek and submit to your will and your design for marriage? Help us become more about we and less about me. God, would you work a miracle and transform us and help us become one the way you designed? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.